Hey, what's going on, everybody? You're listening to The Sane Show, the show about nothing and everything. I'm your host, Cliff. And today, I got a good friend joining me. You guys have heard him on the show before. I have former educator. He's also the chief content officer of Sane Media. And he's also the writer for The Sane Show. I have Paul Davis joining us today. How you doing, Paul? I'm doing well, Cliff. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. You know, <laughs> I've been telling people about you writing for the same show and being chief content officer for same media. So it's good to have you back on the show. And for those of you that don't know, like he has been helping do a lot of writing for the same show. So all that good content you're listening to, you have him to thank you for. I just, <laughs> I'm just delivering uh, really quick before I introduce the topics. I want to take and do the shout outs really quick. And going to do some special shout outs as well. But really quick, I want to shout out all the listeners and all the followers on social media, everybody that's been liking, sharing, subscribing, and continuing to spread the word about the same show. Everyone in all 60 plus countries. Love you guys. I appreciate you guys. And thank you for continuing to spread the word. I want to do a special shout out to some teacher friends of mine. I asked some people to ask everybody to make themselves known so really quick i want to shout out to these educators for their hard work that they continue to do katie bacon jennifer hubbard joel thompson aaron george whitney mason china bates joan mckenzie and andy mccall and my cousin jewel harriet shout out to you guys for continue to do what you do. I know it's a tough time. So I want to dedicate this episode to not only you guys, but to all the educators out there that are listening and may not be listening. So you guys, if you could spread the word to your colleagues, we would really appreciate that. And if you're listening and you don't already follow us, be sure to check out The Sane Show on Instagram and Twitter at The Sane underscore show. Again, Sane underscore show, S-A-N-E underscore show. And then on Facebook, The Sane Show. Again, on Facebook, the same show. So today we're going to be talking about current state of the educational system. We're also going to talk about is the educational system designed to fail? And then following that, we're going to have an interview with you, Paul, so the listeners can learn more about your background in education and get some of your thoughts as well on a lot of these things that we're going to be talking about today. Let's go ahead and hop right into it as far as the current state of the system. And when we sat down, you approached me with this and wanting to talk about this, obviously being a former educator. And I, I looked at a lot of, <laughs> I listened to a lot of videos, watched a, a lot of different news stories and also read a whole bunch of articles. <laughs> and, you know, there, obviously there's a lot going on in dealing with this pandemic and how does the school systems across the country have, I would say, failed on many levels uh, as far as developing the contingency plan and also trying to reopen. And there's, there's just so much. There's just so much going on. Oh, so I want to go ahead and let you open it up just to give your thoughts on the current state of the school system. Well, first off, I think the elephant in the room regarding education right now is reopening. Even before we got to reopening, the system was not where it should have been taking all of your, your coursework sort of leading up to the classroom, everything lays out this sort of glittering picture of, of education, and you know that it's false, right? You know that rubber's going to meet the road somewhere. And this sort of 
best case scenario laid out ahead of you will suddenly fall to smithereens. But then you actually get into the classroom and it is worse, obviously, than the best case scenario, but it's, it's sort of confusing and it's, it's disjointed and it's a kind of analog system really trying to force its way into a very different age, a very digital age, and it's not quite there yet. And so sort of top to bottom, you're seeing that the system itself just is ill-equipped for the time that we're in. And that's the first hurdle that they have to go through. The second hurdle that we have to get through, honestly, is just that there is a general problem with classroom culture and the culture surrounding education, its purpose, its function, its role, and how beneficial it is to to have a quality education. Really, sorry, when you say the culture around education, enlighten me, please. Part of the lead up to this was that we, we listened to some of the same content, some of the same things. And one thing that stood out to me was this whole discussion of the differences in different countries that are beating us in the index that's used to measure education levels across countries. And they were like, Finland has, you know, they were using the sort of anecdotal evidence of, you know, Finland has less recess and blah, blah, blah. And South Korea, it's more strict and less recess and and so on. I think that when you're looking at the U.S., the issue that really sort of is, is hurting a lot of education is that it just isn't taken seriously. Teachers aren't taken seriously. Education is primarily seen as... I think for a lot of people, it's just seen as something that they have to do. They don't internalize why knowledge is valuable. And you see it at home, and then it goes from the home into the classroom. So then it's a battle between students and parents regarding, you know, just getting people to pay attention. And then you have issues with where the buck is passed in regards to who's making choices regarding education and who's supposed to be doing what for students. And so I just think that overall, there's all this talk about students first, but really the entire thing is sort of parents seeing education as, as a place that they just put their child to take care of it while they work. Students just see it as a place that they have to go, and they're not really getting anything valuable from it as far as they're concerned. Students get frustrated not succeeding. Teachers get frustrated not feeling like students are involved. They get frustrated feeling that parents aren't involved. They get frustrated feeling that admin isn't doing enough. And so I think that the real issue of the system at its core right now is classroom culture, which is intersected, of course, with a lot of other various issues. You know, something I I saw a lot in these articles and all the different news content that I was watching, reading and listening to is that one of the overarching problems that we politicize Mm -hmm. education and that has been very detrimental. And we we're seeing it play out all day, every day, this, this back and forth between the federal government and the States about, reopening schools and mm-hmm. not funding schools if they don't open and all all of that kind of stuff and it's it's at a point now it's like this is absolutely ridiculous like you're in this basically you're threatening school systems that if they don't do this you don't do it my way then we're going to make you suffer 
And yeah. Um, all that. Go ahead. I was just going to say, Ken Paxton just put out, uh, the Attorney General of Texas just put out a uh, opinion, a legal opinion, regarding the opening of schools and whether or not local officials, you know, have that kind of authority and that kind of thing. And then right after that, Ken Paxton and the head of the TEA jointly released new guidance essentially saying that closures due to local ordinances from local health officials could potentially cost you state funding. I laugh because not that the situation is funny, but it's just that it's, it's, we're at this point now where I honestly, I, I'm lost for words most of the time. I really am. I, I, yeah. I don't know what to say. One of the points I want to touch on, too, is that there's an entire generation of children that are going to suffer. And if there's one thing that I saw consistently across all of the articles and all of the videos and all of the podcasts that I got a lot of my information from is that this, gener- this upcoming generation is going to be left to suffer and that they're even post pandemic, there are going to be further ramifications because of how much the educational system is about to suffer. This whole idea of students having, you know, falling behind, having to repeat a grade and finding time to catch up. You see Mm -hmm. where I'm getting at? Like, it's just, it's sad. It's sad. It's almost like, it's almost like a divorce, right? Yeah. You have a family going through that situation and the kids are stuck in the middle and oftentimes forgotten about. Yeah. And if anything, there's just a dollar amount being put on their head. Yeah. How much are they worth? There's a dollar amount. And, and this is something that you and I have talked about before. There's a real urgency, I think, for people to find some sort of hard symbolic victory of we opened this during Corona and it's fine. So we can open something else too. And I think that right now, Unfortunately, education is kind of being offered up as that test subject unwillingly. I'll be honest, my school didn't, and this is the case with countless other places, education systems didn't start telling staff and parents and students what was going on this year until very recently. And in a lot of instances, within enough time that your past the date that you can legally resign without having to break your contract. And you can say that that wasn't intentional, but that absolutely was intentional. And so they're really trying to force this thing to happen come hell or high water. It's really unfortunate because you are right. The people that are stuck in the middle are students and students were already victims to a system that was definitely not the best for them but was only every problem with that system was only exacerbated tenfold by COVID. And so you're right. Unfortunately, they are going to be the ones that suffer the most from this entire thing. Yeah. Because not only do you have things like the school to prison pipeline, but then also this whole idea that you just go to school, they get to be a part of the system and work. And that is, you know, so the, the, the whole, the, the systemic failure of the educational system and which we'll we'll really dive into in the next segment, but how like it's it's being exposed right now. Yeah. 
it's really being exposed. So, and again, it's really sad because the people that are truly suffering are children. And I, and I can, I, I just sit back and think a lot of times like, man, am I glad to not be in school right now, to not be in K through 12, to not be in college? Because honestly, I would, I don't, I wouldn't know what to do right now. Yeah, I really wouldn't, you know, and it, it's, it's tough. And, and it's easy for me to sit back and say, well, I'm glad I don't have to deal with this. But at the same time, I'm trying to put myself in the shoes of these of these students and of these parents that have to decide on how to best approach this current situation. Well, and, and education is so, so much a cornerstone of our society that even if you're not directly in it, it somehow is going to affect all of us whether you're you're in the boat or right next to it it somehow is going to affect us because it's just it's too it's too big of a piece too it takes up too much space it's too much of a factor of our society such as it stands that we can't possibly hope to to not feel the effects of it All right, we're back. Now we're going to talk about is the educational system designed to fail? It was even suggested in some of the articles I read that this system was designed, has been designed to fail. And I cannot help but think after reading all of this material, again, listening to these podcasts and also watching these news programs, like it, it all just seems like a big setup. We talk about underfunded schools and then the wealth disparities and also learning about how there's been how there's been this push from the right for parents to send their children to private schools. And obviously we know that in order to do that, you know, you're you're gonna be in a certain tax bracket because it's not cheap to send your child to private school. And I cannot help but think that, again, this is all by design. We're trying to, again, we, we talk about systemic racism and things like that, increasingly growing conversation. And so it, you cannot help but think that this is all, all by design to protect certain groups or certain interests when it comes to the educational system. You go ahead and give me, give me your thoughts on that. I think that education currently passes buck downhill all the way to local levels with sort of federal directives, but then not much after that. I think that it is a system that is ultimately meant to not necessarily collapse in on itself, but I think it is meant to keep a very specific group of people uninformed, uneducated, illiterate and therefore malleable to whatever purpose you sort of see fit. On top of that, I think that because so much of it is left up to local guidance, and you talked about in the first segment the politicizing of it, superintendents and, and these sorts of people are elected officials. The political nature of it is also, of course, at play in that system. And then you add into it, local mindsets are going to seep into it. So for a great example, you know, at my school district, I heard all the time, our kids can't do that. Whenever I would suggest something, that was always the answer. Our kids can't do that. Um, when we were talking about curriculum and next textbook, one of the things that we talked about was 
digital components and the increase of digital access and, and resources. And ultimately, we got outvoted because the, the general idea was everyone keeps saying we'll need this soon, but soon could be 10 years from now when we're discussing the curriculum again. So it's definitely a system that currently is designed to let communities that aren't going to flourish continue to, to die on the vine and let ones that have the right tax bracket continue to thrive. And barring that, if you really want, you can buy into the best of the best private schools. So I definitely do think that it's designed to keep a very specific group of people uninformed and as distanced from the truth and reality as possible. Yeah, I, I, I certainly agree. And funny you, you say that because when you talk about sending children to private school, you know, one of the things I, I, I read was that the state of New York, during the Great Recession, they had slashed the education budget, like many other school systems, but they hadn't reinvested, really. Mm-hmm. And that's a red flag. Like, yeah. And so it's like to, to encourage people that can afford to, to send their children to private school, it gives more reason. Like for them, they, it's more of, a, okay, cool, we, we send our children to private school, or they're sending their children to private school. We can now defund public schools. Mm-hmm. And it become this thing of, well, heck, if you cannot afford to go to a private school, then you just need to find a free school that's still open and try to get the, the best education for, you know, and, it, and it's totally unfair. And it, as we say, again, we're obviously putting a certain group of people at a disadvantage when we do stuff like that. It's just like, wow. And that, yeah. that brings me to my next point, because obviously, again, these things are ripple effects of things that had happened previously. You know, one of the things I looked into is, you know, Brown versus the Board of Education and the uh, desegregation of schools. But then when you had school systems trying to integrate and with the, like Charlotte, best example that everyone likes to use when, you know, they did the busting in integrated schools, which worked out very well and also was proven that it didn't have any effects on the white student population as far as performance. But then you have that one situation where the parent sued the school system because his child didn't get into the magnet program. And then you also had these arguments across the country about these parents basically making up all these excuses as to why their children being bused to all these different schools as a part of school systems trying to integrate. And so with all this stuff happening, obviously that slowly got dismantled where yes, the ruling of Brown versus the board of education still stands, but obviously there have been various things that have happened and various loopholes that have been taken advantage of that have allowed uh, politicians and whoever to take advantage and undermine the ruling and be and practically be able to reverse <laughs> reverse it on their own without there being any kind of you know legal judgment ruling that whatever the ruling was made on Brown versus Board of Education no longer is valid. You see where I'm getting at? Yeah, absolutely. You know, they found they found other systems to continue the the same practice that they had before busing. Right. Yeah, you know, they found all the loopholes to make sure that the money still went to the right places. Great example here in Charlotte. I live right by Providence High School and East Mech. And I live right at the border that separates who goes where and 
and it, we're not that far apart as far as, as what separates us. And Providence is doing fantastic in terms of economic prosperity. They're dropping, you know, a new AC unit on the roof right now, whereas East Mac does like, okay, good blue collar schools, but like definitely financially underwhelming compared to something like a Providence or a Myers Park. Uh, (laughs) Ah, that is, oh my goodness. Yeah, that is just wow. And right, you know, or, one, of, um, one of the one of the interesting things I learned too is how that the Brown versus Board of Education had a lot of implications against implications that affected schools in the South, because I mean obviously the South had Jim Crow and had all these different things, and that's where the focus was with that whole thing. But then to come to learn that you have states in the North, primarily New York State, is one of the most segregated schools has what you know, as far as segregation when it comes to public schools, more segregated than all the states in the South, including Texas. So yeah. I, I found that to be, a. am not going to say it was mind blowing because with everything that's going on and the more I've been educating myself and doing research and learning about, I guess, racial disparities mm-hmm. and systemic racism, just seeing all these things. And when I, when I looked at that last night, I was like, oh, okay, no surprise there. It's just that again, with Brown versus the board of education, it, Northern states weren't the focus. It was the states in the South. Going off of Brown versus BOE and integration of schools, my school that I used to teach at in my district a while ago used to be, I think it was 80% white, something like that. But now it's around 60% white, and then it's about 30% Hispanic. And that has grown exponentially from being about, I think it was like 10% or something like that. Uh, And that's all happened just since the Great Recession. And then also with that, we've also seen a massive increase in economically disenfranchised students in my community. I think that we went from 30% economically disenfranchised or economically disadvantaged to um, 60% economically disadvantaged in the course of about 8 to 12 years. And my school has diversity but then you go and you look at some of our rules and suddenly some of our rules seem a little bit pointed boys can't wear earrings so who are the boys that i see the most in my school who even have earrings at all more often than not it's hispanic and latino students and they're the ones that get targeted for the rule they're the ones that you know constantly get told hey take them out hey take them out all right that's a write-up okay that's iss okay you know that's oss there are even rules. Boys can't have their hair longer than a certain length. And um, there was one instance that happened while I was teaching there where a boy had uh, locks that were past that length, and it was requested that he cut them. And so even though, you know, going back to what we were talking about, even though some of the rules have changed, some things have been forced, mindsets also haven't changed. And there are still archaic rules on the rule books that keep mindsets backward. All right, we're back. Now I'm going to ask you a few questions, Paul, so that the listeners can get more insight into your experience, your thoughts on the educational system and all the things that go along with that. So my first question to you, you know, again, having been a teacher, what what are your overarching concerns about the American educational system? 
In the immediate future, it is returning to the classroom. It is the reason that I decided to resign because my immediate concern right now is that schools aren't safe enough. I saw this chart. It was an index of safety levels of activities and school was in the middle. Then on the high risk side, it was, you know, eating in a crowded space, you know, of more than 50 people and working out indoors and and doing this, that and the other. And I looked at all of these higher risk activities and I was like, these are the activities that make up a day at a school. And so my most immediate concern right now with the education system is the reopening, is the way it's being politicized and handled at just about every state that I look at. There's some way in which it's being politicized. My long term concerns are that teachers are expected to do more than teachers should have to in a day. Teachers have too many students in their room. That education, despite us spending a good amount of money per student compared to other countries, clearly that money isn't going to the right places, doing the right things, working in a way that isn't functional. So we unfortunately need to do the very long, laborious process of really taking it apart at every single level. What are the home environments of our students? What supports are we having in the school? And I don't have the answers, certainly. And unfortunately, we need a lot more very, very current research. But I I would suggest if you wanted to have a good place to start, I would go to teachers and I would start there because the truth is we are falling behind overall. We're doing about middle of the pack on most things, but we could be doing better. Yeah, that is that's definitely true. So now that we had this discussion about all of this stuff, what should be the starting point as to what we should address first when attempting to reform the educational system? I would begin with gathering more research, gathering more information. We suddenly have all of this information about how many students are falling behind based off of COVID. And I think we need to dig deeper into that. What are these populations? Where are these populations? Is it just the lack of technology? Is it also the lack of professionals who are equipped to handle technology. Unfortunately, we just need to really, I think, start with information and look at where the system fell apart during COVID, because I think that once we really understand where it fell apart during COVID and why it fell apart during COVID, we'll also understand why it wasn't working before. That makes great sense. So how concerned should we be about the U.S.'s educational system and how it compares to those in other countries? That's a tough question. We look at the stats and we're certainly not where I think anyone would like us to be, right? You know, we are supposed to be one of the greatest countries in the world. We're supposed to be a sort of, you know, shining beacon, an example. And our education system isn't that. We can point to how great this, that, or the other part of America is, but if our education system isn't one of our crowning jewels, that is a problem. And I certainly see it in the classroom. There were plenty of things that I found pretty eye-opening. I remember I had students who weren't aware of who fought in the American Revolutionary War, about when the Declaration of Independence was signed, So it was pretty surprising on certain levels. And I was teaching 10 years 
I was teaching 11th grade and I was teaching 10 years from when I had been in the 11th grade. I thought back really hard to 11th grade and I was like, did I not know these things? And I'm like, no, I knew these things. Mm-hmm. And I was like, you know, what about my friends? My friends knew this stuff. And I sit and I think about it. And I'm like, yeah, a lot of my friends knew this stuff. Or at least, you know, even if they didn't know it perfectly, knew more than this. We were doing the, the Civil War in AP US history. I remember that in Northwest. So I did find it pretty surprising how far behind we are, how disinterested they are. I mean, you know, I was dealing with 17-year-olds who you think would have the common sense not to go, Mr. Davis, can I do a TikTok right now? (laughs) It'll only take two minutes. No, you can't. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So, you know, we're trying to read common sense. Sit down. So definitely be concerned, but you don't have to be an alarmist. Just be involved. And the best place to do that if you're a parent is with your child's personal education. And holding that child accountable, not your teacher. There will be moments where your teacher is in the wrong, but sometimes your student also just needs to be held accountable. And so, you know, be concerned, be involved, be engaged, but don't be an alarmist. I agree. I just think about why it's important to know a lot of this stuff, especially the historical stuff, man, because with everything that's going on right now, I've been deep into the news and you know, one of the things I'm seeing is how a lot of the things from the past of that for the most part, like really taking the understanding, like how a lot of these things are being repeated from the past. So if you don't understand the past, it's going to repeat itself. Yeah. That's what we're seeing. Uh, my, my last question to you, describe, describe your time in education and what, what changed as far as how you felt going into it and how you feel about it now. I didn't go into it sort of an idealist you know i wasn't i wasn't imagining stand and deliver i came to it late i went the alt cert program alternate certification which is when you go and go take a certain number of online classes go and do a certain number of hours in class and it's a sort of condensed education program and then you do your intern year where you're still sort of on the job learning and while you do that you take your pedagogical exam and and that sort of thing and so I went that route, did my in-class time, which was 30 hours in a middle school in Bastrop, Texas. That was sort of eye-opening in and of itself. It was seventh grade, and that's when I learned, you know, where the gaps were in testing and things like that. But ultimately, I felt that it was still a system where if the community had the right mindset. If the teachers had the right mindset, you know, you could work at it, you could grind at it, you could have something come out of it. When I finally started actually teaching, I went into it not quite sure what to expect. You know, I went through that tour where they gave me all of the demographic information of my community. And, you know, I did open house where I met parents and and students. And, you know, I had met some of my staff at this point, some of my co-teachers. I knew that the year was going to be challenging in its own way. I certainly didn't expect the ways in which it would be challenging. I didn't expect, honestly, just how, and part of it might be the community that I was teaching in, I didn't expect how much of it was going to be based in a lot of weirds, backwards, ideological thinking. And it was certainly, it gave itself a lot of challenges. And I knew that it was challenging about halfway through the year when another teacher ended up quitting. And she was a first-year teacher as well. 
She had let students see her cry. Like she had had a tough, tough time. Then COVID hit and the job, it became even more clear to me at that point that the system was already pretty flawed. I had been told multiple times that I shouldn't do this with the grades, that I shouldn't do that with the grades, that I should be a certain amount of forgiving, you know, that I should avoid giving students a 69 because parents would argue with me over that being a failing grade and blah, blah, blah. That was already disheartening, but once COVID hit, it was like, let's not even have the pretense anymore that we're trying to hold people accountable. It's essentially just a, you're checking in as long as, you know, we've sort of got something on the books. It's pretty much a pass. And I definitely understand needing to find some amount of flexibility. You know, everyone was on a learning curve at that point in time, but that's, I guess, when it really sort of crystallized that, like, at the end of the day, whether they were ready or not, even if we hadn't had COVID, these were all pretty much going to be students who passed. Then I got really honestly bothered by my entire resignation process because I was able to get out, but another teacher was not able to. And she has an autoimmune issue. She's got a kid at home and she wasn't able to get out, but I was. So that's got me pretty bothered by the process as well. So overall, I still enjoy education. I still enjoy my time in education for what it was. But it definitely got tougher to sort of look at it every single day. Ultimately, I think that I will probably end up back in a classroom at some point because I did like it well enough. Currently, this wasn't something that I wanted to walk into. I certainly had no interest in walking to a political firestorm with a real mess of protocols on safety. So it's been a little bit disheartening, but ultimately I think that there is still a lot of good in the education system. There are still some good people in the education system, but it's tough right now. It's a tough job. It's hard. That it is. <laughs> that it is. And, you know, again, gotta give it up for all the teachers that are sticking it out and doing the best that they can to make it work and to continue to, pro- to continue to provide students with the best quality education that they can. That being said, thank you. Paul, for coming on the show and again, and for also bringing this up for us to have this discussion. So, yeah, absolutely, man. Thank you for having me anytime. It's different because I'm talking to my writer. So. <laughs> well, you know, that just gives us the shorthand. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, this is fun. It's always great talking to you. Obviously, we have these conversations all the time. So we're, you know, I was actually going through and through my phone and like looking at the articles that we exchanged and you know the podcast episodes I send you and vice versa and all that kind of you know fun stuff. So obviously, you know, content is what we do as creatives. So we're always you know talking about what's going on and ideas for this and that and whatnot. So yeah, man, this this was this was fun. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you again though, and thank you listeners for continuing to listen. Uh, be sure to, again, you know, make sure to follow The Sane Show and make sure to share and continue to subscribe to uh, The Sane Show if you aren't already subscribed to The Sane Show. Now, with that being said, you are listening to The Sane Show, the show about nothing and everything. And until next time, we're out.